Hello, this is Ruslan Malinovsky. Hello, this is Roman Yeremchuk. Hello, I'm Sergey Rebro. And you're listening to Ukraine Post Football. Happy New Year, one and all. It's the first episode of Ukraine Plus Football in 2023, and we've got a special one for you. We're providing you an all-systems-go background check, breakdown and analysis on the poster boy of the transfer window, Mihailo Mudrik. Our very own Adam has been shouting his praises for years, and it looks like the next step of his career could be coming up very, very soon. Ray is also with us to provide a bit more meticulous information on his background and a very warm welcome, first appearance on the pod, Mr. Euro expert Alex Barker, who's a well-known journalist who can be found on the Get Football Network, The Athletic, and in particular on Twitter and his own TikTok channel where he creates whole heaps of football analysis videos, player breakdowns and more. Let's get to it. Yes, it's an absolute pleasure to be on. I've got to be honest, when you messaged me about the... uh... The podcast, Andrew, I thought this is perfect for a number of reasons. One, I've been a fan of your Twitter account for quite a long time and the people you interact with as uh, so tried to make it a mission to follow sort of football East, in Eastern Europe for a little while. And also because, you know, I think every person, every journalist in England who's London based or connected to Chelsea or Arsenal has had their say on Mudrick. And I've held off making a video or making any analysis because I thought, I just don't want to copy whatever else is saying. And when you messaged me about this, I thought, this is perfect. This is one of the very few times I get to sit back and be the Premier League fan and let the experts say their stuff. And I'm just going to be listening, making notes and uh, gaining some wonderful insight and then just filling in, hopefully, when you need me. Fantastic. Adam, you've been the one that probably told us about him way in the beginning. A long time ago. Well, not that long ago, was it? It was like... 2020 when we started our our podcast i'm 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 later to ukrainian football than many people being a brit as well but uh, i was talking to one of ray and my good friends andre birdian who is now one of the first team coaching staff uh with shakhtar and i actually asked him about vlad vakula my <laughs> uh and he said why are you asking me about him Mikhail Mudrik is the one that you need to keep an eye on. I, I was like, well, okay. And I went away and I started watching the videos. And yeah, you could see he had talent. I mean, you know, if you go back to the early days, he started off with the Metalist Academy as a youngster. And I was watching a video uh, just last week. And he said he was with Metalist. They went bankrupt. Then he went to Dnipro. They went bankrupt. Then he wound up at Shakhtar's youth. And fortunately for Shakhtar, they haven't gone bankrupt. Worth adding, he also went on loan at Arsenal Kiev. They went bankrupt. And he's also been on loan at Disnatia Nukov. They haven't gone bankrupt, but they have had been forced to fold because of the war, but also financial issues before that all started too. So it's definitely not down to him, but he's got a round of bad luck with the former teams that he's been playing for. 
but he was a slow burner. I mean, this is the thing with any talented youngster. There's that transition from being a talented youngster to being a footballer who can compete against men. And I think one of the things with Modric is that development has been delayed. I mean, he was sent out on loan to Arsenal when he was 17 or 18. Arsenal keep. And yeah, from, from what I've heard, I didn't watch him back then, but he didn't perform. And then in the summer of 2020, when I started watching him, um, he went out to Desna Chenihib on loan. And it was there where, I mean, prior to that, I'd spoken to Vladimir Zverev, and he may hate me for this, but he said, the thing with Mudrik is you need two balls on the pitch, one for him and one for everyone else. And it was at his time in Chenihib where you could see he's, he was starting to understand that there were other people on the team and they could help them score goals. And you could see him become more of a team player. And that was like that was where my eye really sort of caught him. And I thought, okay, he's starting to make some progress here. And that Christmas, he was called back to Shakhtar. They cancelled the loan. He went back and Castro hated him, didn't he? He was 23 minutes of first-team football in the second half of the season. And I mean, for any youngster, just sitting on the bench, as I said beforehand, collecting splinters, it's just not going to do anything for you. It's, it's just going to delay any development. And fortunately, then, Castro left. Uh, after that abysmal season for Shakhtar and De Zerbi came in. And I think he's been quoted in across a number of publications saying that if Mudrik does not become a world-class talent under, under me, I will have failed. And Mudrik will either become a forgotten wannabe or a world-class talent under the, that time when they were together at Shakhtar. And as much as I say that, one of the things I noticed, I know, Ray, I'm going to come across to you in a second here, though, was on his Instagram feed, something he's famous for, of course, um, where there was a lot of pictures of him in the gym. And if you look at pictures of Mudrick now compared to pictures of Mudrick from two years ago, he has transformed himself physically, where he can now compete against men on the pitch, whereas two years back, he was really struggling to We've seen these fantastic statistics this year from the Champions League, where he's the quickest person on the pitch, and he's talking about this ambition of being clocked at 40 kilometres an hour and so on and so forth, which is me sort of rattling off on a slight tangent, but this is where we've got from where he was to where he is today on the cusp of this fantastic uh, potential transfer, which will really push this golden generation of Ukrainian players coming through to an even higher pedestal, I feel. But, I mean, as Ray, as I said, he's had this sort of black social media cloud hanging over him and a number of football pundits have not been the biggest fans, but I know you've sort of followed him on that side of it a little bit more than me. No. <laughs> but, what I mean, what's, what's he been up to? Uh, yeah, right. Um, thanks, Adam. I mean, the, the Orient side is great. Only from you, I found out that he played for Arsenal Kiev because, you know, back in history, 
2019, it was a dark season for Ukrainian football. There were the dark times. And just so you know, Arsenal Kiev doesn't exist anymore. These are the sworn enemies of my local club, Obolon Kiev. So it makes sense, right? I don't need to mention them. But somehow Mudrik is connected with them. Will that be the only Arsenal in his career? We shall see. Also, uh, back in the day, he was a huge star on 433, TikTok and Instagram. He still is, basically. But um, what we can gain from that is that he established himself as a freestyler, you know, as a teenage dream footballer, uh, the way he looked, the way he performed, uh, all these tricks. I mean, he knew how to get viral, you know, and that's the reason that that's something you should know about him. I mean, a lot of kids are talented, like Fakula was talented back in the day, but there are a lot of guys who we don't know the names of who can do the same tricks as Mudrik. And we, you could tell he's been practicing them every day. It's been his only passion. He went to sleep with the ball. I don't know what other cliches you want to hear from me, but here you go. The first match he uh, played under um, someone in Shakhtar, was it Kastor or Derby? I don't know. When did they start talking about uh, him needing a second ball or when he, we were discussing on our pod actually that he doesn't run that good he doesn't pass he cannot hold on of the ball he is not strong enough and that is now all fixed but since you mentioned arsenal gave lawn i stumbled upon his interview back in april of 2019 and he said i quote i asked god to help me become a footballer of top level a man who will be followed by people my dream is to play in barcelona and i often ask God about it. I'll let you do it then. To be continued. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> oh, Barcelona, eh? He's going to be held on that one somewhere down the line. But yeah, I mean, Andrew, we we watched him a couple of times uh, probably last season now, wasn't it, before uh, health, health came over. Um, we saw the sort of the famous game against FC Lviv where I thought it was three assists, but I've seen he's been quoted as four assists. And it was like last season, he seemed to have this real breakout, would you say, in in terms of his development. He really started to uh, stand out. Alex, I'm going to bring you in here. When was it that he first caught your eye? And what would you consider his sort of biggest strengths at that time? So when he first started catching my eye was, I was able to go, uh, for those who don't know, I note down every game that I watch and I try and note down everything I see. So I'm quite fortunate to have match notes going back to 2020. So all I have to do is type in my drag and say, oh, where did I first find him? And uh, he first caught my eye against um, Alexandria, which would have been around early 2021. I think he might have come in a sub in that game. I thought I, I, thought I just noted saying, Bloody hell, this guy's who's number who's this number 20? He's he's absolutely lightning quick. Who is he? And then there's a few couple of games that passed that said he's doing quite a few things. But when I first started to really clock and stop paying attention was a game against Coloss. I think it had been the 21-22 season, the first half of it. And believing that game he'd scored a uh, scored a goal which blew past a couple of players. And and that's that's the thing for me that separates him from other players, not just in Ukraine, Ukrainian football, but also Croatian football, also football in Eastern Europe, where, I mean, I this is the, the podcast where I can get corrected, so I'm going to have to be, make sure I'm full on this. But, uh, I mean, the obvious comparison for me would be Viktor Tsanagov of Dinamo Kiev. He's someone who's been getting goals and assists for years. Why has he not got the supposed big move, right? And 
for speaking from like a European club perspective, if I'm looking at him versus Mudrak, I'd be thinking, right, Tosanagov, you're continuing to get goals and assists, you're continuing to contribute. But is that just because you're, you know, in a bit of a weaker league against weaker opposition? You're one of the top two teams. What makes Mudrak stand out for me against Tim is the physical attributes. And I've seen a lot of people talk about his speed, you know, how his quick acceleration, how quickly he can blast past defenders. The thing that really excites me, the point that when I was really starting to pay attention in the 21-22 season, which would have been under Zerbu, was his deceleration, how he can get up to full speed so quickly and then just slow down almost like the click of a finger. And then it feels like he's got all the time in the world to make a decision, usually to cross from the byline or to cut inside. So I would say the 21-22 season, which lines up with what you guys are saying, with Deserby taking charge, that's when I really started to think, okay, this guy's showing qualities that mark him out as a unique player. And most importantly, some with attributes that can translate anywhere in football, no matter the league. Yeah, I completely agree with that, in all honesty, Alex. And I probably want to add as well on that deceleration note is what it allows him to do is get past players very quickly in tight spaces, even when he is moving at those high speeds. So it it helps, obviously, he's highly technically gifted. He's got really good um, dribbling abilities where like literally the ball sticks to his feet in that kind of perspective. And he's got a good range of passing as well. Literally can switch it across the pitch, can play um, outside the boot, passes through the middle, um, close range combinations with the likes of Sudakov um, and others in his team. He is a great, he's a great winger. I don't, I think there's no doubt about it. Um, on top of that, I think it's quite, he, he reminds me of an Iniesta in terms of his dribbling ability, in terms of like, you know, he can get, he keeps the ball at his feet very, very collectively. And then he ends up trying to release it as best as he can. However, I think as we're currently focusing on the strengths and weaknesses, it's probably worth pointing out a few things that he can still work on at the moment. And from my opinion, I think it is that final decision making. Uh, there is a there is multiple occasions where he takes it past two, three players and just plays the pass somewhere completely wildly because I think he's sort of going through the cogs of literally trying to do so much all the time in in the team that he's in because he knows the star in inverted commas that he is that he sort of takes a lot upon himself so wherever he ends up moving to next it's going to take that burden off him and I think it is also going to be important to see how he adapts to not being per se the star in a team maybe full of stars because on top of that when he's in a team such as Shakhtar, where he is the best player, I think there's no qualms about that. And he gets marked out the game for some reason and he's having a quiet one. There's no one else in the team to really take that away from him. And it just means the whole attack is sort of stunted and not much else can be done. And on top of that, Shakhtar over the past, I would say, season and a half, haven't had the best centre-forwards. Yes, they can score against the lowly sides in the league, but it's very difficult for him to work and move into the box. Then he has got that time to think, but he's got nowhere to play it because no one's in the box to meet him. So I think he he needs players that are going to be more 
closer to his level, maybe even better than his level, to facilitate, I think, his development overall. And obviously, a move away from Ukraine at the time being is something that'll be really helpful. One more thing, I think, Alex, to add is I've spoken about this on a few other um, podcasts and videos and things. It's the low block. What have you seen about Madrid that can tells you whether he will be able to cope with it or he won't? I think he possibly will. What's your opinions? Oh, th- this is actually going to stay a little tight because this ties into my answer later. But I, I think he's actually a deep, perfect for a deep block. I mean, with the decision making that you've kind of outlined at the moment, like that sort of weakness where he needs to work on that and master it in the final third. Maybe that's holding him back at the moment. But when I look at sort of a deep block of the team and, look, you know, watching football across Europe, you get, you know, a little bit of a diff- different feel with Spain and France to how teams defend and, and how people unlock it. And I feel like the obvious answer is usually, you know, a Kevin De Bruyne, someone who can play an outrageous pass that just goes through all the different defenders. But I think that's really hard to one, execute multiple times a game, and two, find a player who does that, who's not called Kevin De Bruyne, who's an affordable player. I actually think the best players for this are the Mudraks, the ones who are good in the 1v1. I mean, Mudrak in the Champions League this season was completely two dribbles per 90 against lots of Leipzig, it's Real Madrid and Celtic who are sitting quite deep as well. So when you have a player like that, who can either take someone on and beat them, or, as you guys have said, have, can be marked out of the game, right? If he's having two people on him, then that's two people getting pulled out of a defensive shape, which allows space for other people. So maybe we'll see the true ability of Madrak against a uh, a Madrak against a low block when you know he's against when he's with a team that has better players. And you've said about like Shakhtar, a better striker, someone who can exploit the space that Madrak bit and get getting doubled up on creates. We've had a look at there uh, what he's what he's about on the pitch. Now let's take a few minutes to look at what he's like now off the pitch. 12 months ago, when we were very excited about Mikolenko's move to Everton, we spoke about Mikolenko loving his fishing. Now, is Mudrick going to be jumping on the train up to Liverpool to join Mikolenko on the on the riverside, or is he, is he uh, into something else? Yeah, that's a good point, actually. I mean, he, since he might be in the same city with Zinchenko, he might have a little fall under his uh, influence. And I think they are from the same structure system. They're, they're better acquainted. The point is, uh, Mudrik is um, much more involved uh, in virtual, digital uh, world than Mikolenko. Remember, we did not any, any discuss any likes, any, his, any of his activity last year, but... Well, Mudrik had some bad judgment calls recently, and that's what I've been co- talking about before, right? If you don't, <clears throat> if, for example, what I want to say now, uh, adding up to what I said before, is that if you don't sell him uh, at least in summer, I'm not, I don't have any hopes for that winter, honestly. I mean, that's not Ukrainian football tradition to sell players now. If you don't sell him then, then the team is going to be addicted to one player, right? So that's what happened to... Yermolenko in the past, Konoplyanka, God rest his soul <laughs> in football, uh, Tsihankov, uh, he, this guy struggles, right? And <clears throat> we mentioned that he is, uh, he's achieved good physique recently, Mudrik, uh, and that's uh, in moments uh, last year in national team in Shakhtar, sometimes that allowed him to be bully, 
You know, he turned into some guy who can get frustrated on the pitch. Be- apart from being number 10, apart from being a young, young superstar, he can also fight back. But it's not really something you expect the guy to do in most of the situations. I mean, if you are the leader, you need to keep cool, right? Keep it real or stay classy. And that's what Tehanko never did in Dynamo. Tehanko never fought with anyone. When the team lost, he just uh, went there, head down, shoulder down, hoping for some of the foreign players to <laughs> put a word for him. But in Mudrik's case, um, and he's also got his gang around him, right? It's a good team in Shakhtar. Just when you mentioned about making bad decisions recently in the virtual world, I mean, we've all been seeing his Instagram stories, right? And like, from my view, it feels like it's relentless how often he's saying, oh, what a, you know, I don't want to leave for Arsenal. However, you know, in my dream world, I would be playing for Arsenal right now, right? And, you know, every English fan is kind of lapping up. I'm not sure if it's going to come up later. Can I ask, how has that gone down with Shakhtar fans? Because if I was a Shakhtar fan, I'd be fuming with it. Is LA feeling angry? Uh, to be honest, I think that they understand the situation that he's going to a better league and most Ukrainian football fans have got no qualms on the cut, especially with the current state that Ukrainian football is in. Sadly, I think they are just like, Hey, listen, you want to go to the Premier League? Go. And actually we'll touch on this a bit later when we come to the fee and all of this talk that the move might come off. It might not. And all that kind of stuff. The majority of Ukrainian football fans, including Shakhtar fans, are just like, let him go, <laughs> FFS, essentially. So we'll see how we'll see how that ends up. And just adding to a bit of what Ray was chatting about, aside from the pitch, yes, we're talking about he's a bit of a he loves his social media and everything. But I think that's maybe slightly too intense on the, I guess, negatives of of him. He seems to be a very switched on player in terms of fully focused. You could say even like a Ronaldo type focus where he's literally in the gym after hours all the time. He's working with his personal trainer to try and beat the speed record for a sprint in football. Apparently they're trying to reach 40 kilometers an hour, which obviously seems ridiculous, but hey-ho, who's to, who's to judge them? Adam was touching about his relationship with Deserby earlier and how that helped him develop when they, when the both of them met together, I think for the first time in one of the early training camps, when Deserby arrived, Deserby went to him and said, what do you want to achieve under me or just in your career? And Mudrik told him quite frankly, I want to become the Ballon d'Or winner. And Deserby put the faith in him, or I guess you could say good man management and said, yeah, I will do everything I can to help you do that. And Jovicovic has been a similar manager for him now at Shakhtar for the past six months, where he's one of those that nurtures him, that tells him how good he is, I assume, a lot. And I think that that's something that Madrid certainly needs. He needs that validation and that support from his management team uh, and, I guess, his colleagues in in, in the team, the, the teammates, to ensure that he doesn't, go off um, the straight and narrow, if that makes sense. So as long as he's got that, I think he should be okay. Obviously, everyone has to go through their sort of tough times. Adam mentioned it when he was in the early years with Castro and everything like that. 
I assume wherever he moves to next, if he's not going to be an initial immediate starter, that may start creeping in and that challenge will have to be addressed. Luckily, I think he's young enough that it can be fixed in that sense. And someone, a good, his next future manager, should be someone that can nurture that and help and assist that. Sorry, Andrew, let me just quickly check with you. Uh, next season, uh, if Shakhtar wins the Prem, uh, do they automatically move to Champions League or they go to qualifiers? Shakhtar will be in the, they'll be in the Champions League playoff round. All right. Uh, that puts us in uh, the position where they can tell him actually now, because since they would like to say that, oh, we need him for the championship to go, to go straight to the Champions League, that would make sense. Now it doesn't. And bottom line to what we're saying off the pitch about Mudrik is, he is really similar to Neymar in a sense of praising Jesus. And um, quoting one of the famous songs, Losing My Religion, uh, we've seen him in the spotlight, we've seen him in the corner. And uh, you mentioning him uh, winning Ballon d'Or in the future, was it just a dream? Well, at least we saw him try. And mm-hmm. we definitely don't want to see him losing his religion. <laughs> That's not. One thing we do have to give him a lot of credit for, though, and this is, you know, I mean, talking from the Ukrainian side, uh, is his level of English that has come on immensely over the last few years. This is, you know, we, when we spoke about Mikolenko and the, the team and problems he would face with a lack of English, Mudrick's come across, even if sometimes on social media he hasn't chosen strong words but in some of the interviews his level of English means that when he goes to the EPL he should be able to settle into life there a lot better than we've seen a number of the foreigners and this is something you know having having spoken to him with and needing a translator because his English wasn't good enough just three years ago it's it's something that's quite pleasing to see the way he's come on. We don't know where he's going to end up. Let's be perfectly honest here. It could be one of a number of clubs. But Alex, Arsenal and Chelsea are the two that have been mentioned the most. And, you know, we've we've seen the bids come in from Arsenal be rejected. There's talk of bids coming in from Chelsea. Out of those two, first of all, which side do you think, do you think he would fit better? And secondly, which side probably needs him more at this stage? I think you're going to like the fact I have two different answers to those questions. Uh, the team I think he fits the most out of Arsenal-Chelsea is Arsenal. Uh, I think I, I think Mudrak needs to strike the balance, taking everything you guys have been saying in, which I bet you guys... People will be listening along, not realising. I've just sat back with my arms folded listening along because it's been great. Um, Taking everything in, it seems like he wants to be having substantial minutes, but he's not ready to be thrown into the spotlight yet. Um, It probably doesn't need that pressure. Arsenal, they're chasing down the league title. They're not going to start him every week. However, he'll be fantastic rotation for Gabriel Martinelli. And Emil Smith-Rowe on the left-hand side, that gives him plenty of room to come back. The team that needs him the most, without a doubt, in my opinion, is, is Chelsea. I was talking to a Chelsea fan yesterday um, called Lawrence of Scully on YouTube. And we were talking about the fact they were getting linked to Marcus Taram alongside Mudrak. And I was saying how if they signed Taram and no one else, it's a terrible move because they haven't solved any of their creative issues. One of the big things at Chelsea this season is that if you look at their chances created, their expected goals, 
which is the measure of the quality of chance created, they rank so low in the Premier League. And Lawrence was kind of battling against this and said, OK, Eden Hazard left in 2019. Have you replaced his output? And he said, come to think of it, haven't even replaced a third of it. And I say this because I think it's a very big claim, but I would th- say it himself. He wants to win a Ballon d'Or. Ace Roberto De Zerbi is calling world-class talent. I think Mudrock has the potential to be the next Eden Hazard. His dribbling is so good, and it reminds me of Hazard in that way, how quickly he accelerates and decelerates. And Chelsea have got no one like that anymore. Sure, they've got Christian Pulisic, but his legs are gone from his injuries. You know, sure, they've got Raheem Sterling, but he's a lot more reserved in that aspect. His game relies a bit more on sort of timing and passes. They've never had, a, they haven't had an Eason Hazard since someone who can take two players out of a game, whether that's being doubled up on the marking or taking two out of the game with his dribbling. So when, when you ask me, you know, which team he'll fit in the most, it's Arsenal because, you know, he'll have that rotation. But which team definitely needs him going forward? And I think would be starting him quite often, quite early. It would be Chelsea. I guess the main issue at the moment is all this talk of that Mudrick is currently so determined to move to Arsenal and everything that we've heard. The fact that that's so public, I think, may have an issue in it in the long run or however long this saga continues for if it's finished in the next few weeks or continues into the summer we will see however I think what needs to be struck is a slight balance Arteta seems to be a very good manager that deals with youth and development of talent which Arsenal as an entire squad is on the whole you know one of the youngest squads in the top five leagues playing so well as they are I think it would be a good experience, a good six months for Mudrik to properly bed into the Premier League. Yes, he wouldn't be starting immediately, but it'll give him a bit of an easier route into the team. He might play on the left wing a bit more regularly if Martinelli if Martinelli shifts into the middle a bit, because we've heard about Arteta wanting to experiment with that. He'd obviously have Zinchukov there with him as well, which would help with adaptation to have another Ukrainian there. And on top of that, it just seemed like quite a good time to be at Arsenal in terms of they're on their way up. Similarly to those first years of Pep under Man City. Obviously, it's completely unknown how long Arsenal will continue to play like this for, you know, if it's going to continue for the rest of the season, if it's going to continue for a number of years, etc. But still, I think it would be a very positive move for him if he went there. Whereas, whilst I agree with what Alex is saying, at Chelsea, he's probably going to be played more often. They probably need him more as a left winger because they don't have anyone who would be able to do the functions that Mudrik can do. It seems that there is some complete instability there. Their transfer policy is up in the air, really. It looks like they're scouting based on what their rivals are trying to do. They've just brought in Jao Felix. Whether... And most likely that's going to have a massive impact on Mudrik signing at all. So it seems for now anyway, that Arsenal is the main place. Just need to get that deal resolved and see what happens. Uh, Although Chelsea um, sold Hazard in 2019, they won the Champions League two years after. And they didn't need anyone like him. They rebuilt the team. They had a good coach who is left now. And they have Graham Porter. And that's all the question to the coaching, right? How he's going to use Mudrik. 
I'm not going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to say that uh, Mudrik is going to save Chelsea in that state they're in, but also I'm, I would just, you know, throw it into you guys like a hypothesis. Hasn't football moved on since Hazard and wingers? You know, now we see Real Madrid winning the Champions League with uh, pensioners and Karim Benzema with his left hand broken. Or was it right hand? Whatever. Golden bracelet it is. But the thing is, uh, we need something else than, um, than that. Well, I, I will counter to that point. I think this is a fair point. Uh, Ray, I think you have got a point in terms of maybe football's moved on from having like a one-man army team. Yeah. And I think that's that's definitely a point that's gone past. But to sort of get into it a bit more, um, what Eden Hazard provided at Chelsea was you know, carries into the box and dribbles. He was you know one of the best players in the Premier League at dribbling into the box. I was just having a look at the statistics, in fact. And... You know, I'm doing it live in the background of my computer, but so we'll get a live reaction if I'm wrong. But in his last season at Chelsea, he's completing four dribbles per 90. And then in the season four, he's completing six. This season, you know, where they've got Raheem Sterling, they've got Christian Pulisic in, they won the Champions League, you know, all but a year ago, and they haven't lost any of their attackers really. Surely they're they're kind of in that same big ballpark, right? And as suspected, no one's completing over two. So he, he, no one's even completing a third of the output that Hazard has got. And yes, football isn't just a one-man show. Anymore, football has moved on, like you said. It's a lot more based around passing. But when you look at a Manchester City with a Phil Foden, a Riyad Mahrez, definitely. You look at an Arsenal with Gabriel Martinelli and Bakayo Saka. When you're playing against these low blocks of tight, all back to what we were talking about earlier, you do need players who can take someone take someone out of the game or take a defender out of the block and disrupt it. And I think that's the biggest barrier to Chelsea becoming, you know, a City or Liverpool. And I think that's why they are chasing Modric, unless it is Todd Bowley just looking at who Arsenal have and going, I will take him, which some people do think, and I wouldn't be doubting that at this point. But in all seriousness, I do think Chelsea are looking at Modric and thinking he can finally be the answer to a problem we've had since Hazard left in the fact we had one of the best dribblers in the world. He's gone. And we've not been able to come close to replacing it. Maybe this guy is it. Now let's let's throw the parameters out a bit wider. You know, going back earlier earlier on this evening, Ray mentioned about his early quote of wanting to join Barcelona. With the price that we're talking about now for him, is is he restricted to the EPL? Is is uh, would he be suited to Real Madrid, Barcelona, any other clubs, PSG, for example, Alex? Any clubs, styles of football that you think perhaps he's more suited to than the EPL? It's a good question, to be fair. Um, it's tough because you look at teams like Real Madrid and PSG, I think they're stocked to these type of profile. I mean, I don't think Madrid gets in over Vinicius Jr. I don't think he gets in over Kylian Mbappe unless he was to leave. Maybe that's something you could look at there. Ideally, to be honest, if he didn't have all the hype attached to him and you know, as we've kind of been talking, he's been hyped for such a long time. I mean, when I first found him, he was literally called the Ukrainian Neymar. So I think the price has been so inflated to the point where a team he probably should move to, which is, in my opinion, more of a mid-table like European or Premier League team. He, he can't go there anymore. I think he's going to be, have to go to one of these ridiculously rich Premier League clubs. If you're asking like, a specific club he would, would probably fit at, I find it hard to you know come up with one off the top of my head, but like an RB Leipzig, someone like someone like an RB Leipzig, someone like a Sevilla, someone like a 
if like an Inter Milan or AC Milan, just a team that's just below where you get all the scrutiny and all the pressure you get a big Champions League club. Just a team where he could continue to be a little bit of a big fish in a small pond rather than go straight into being around world-class superstars. I feel like that is the ideal level I would have put him at, but but to answer your question there, but I think it's blown past the point now where it's even possible. It's going to have to be an £80 million move, and you know, there's only a handful of teams in the world who can afford that, and the ones that actually have a need a, a player like Mugdruck, they're all in the Premier League. Yeah, that's a good point about RB Leipzig, actually. That looks like a good team. I mean, you remember all these guys with the similar hairstyles like Mudrik? I mean, <laughs> joking aside, uh, what do we talk about uh, this year, definitely? Uh, previous one, d- this year, maybe some years later on, is the new image of Ukrainian footballer, right, in the in the world. Because this is the time now. I mean, we have this six-month gap when we have to establish the new image of Ukrainian football abroad. And Mudrik is the, could be the main guy. I mean, since you're Molenko left, obviously. And apart from the guys who we mentioned in the beginning of the pod, uh, all the guys who are talented but not as hyped as Mudrik, and rightfully so, yes, he is hyped, but he rather transitioned quite flawlessly from this uh, no-name from uh, social media pages to the guy who is worth 80 million, and we discussed him on the pod in the winter 2023. Rather flawlessly, I might, I might say. And... This is what we look uh, more like a Shevchenko case when he wanted to go to Juve, but Dynamo uh, rejected. And in one year, uh, he moved to Milan. But in this one year gap, uh, the president of Dynamo promised him a uh, million dollars uh, insurance in case he gets injured and loses interest of the clubs. That's the six month gap now. And that's what should be provided to Mudrik. Uh, otherwise, he will become what we've uh, warned you uh, dear audience in the beginning of the pod and earlier this year last year sorry Andrew I'm going to come to you here we spoke about this high price and this you know the 80 million pounds 100 million euro price that's been banded around why is it so high because I don't think it's justified in any case <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I think there's a multiple well I think there's a multitude of factors involved here. Uh, number one, we know that Shakhtar are very shrewd business people as a club. They love every few years, not every year, but every few years or so, to get a big signing out there. And, you know, they've got a track record of selling on big players for big money that they have developed. And I think that says for itself, you know, Fernandinho, um, We've had the likes of Fred, who maybe probably hasn't hit the heights for the price that was paid for him. Um, the likes of Henrik Mkhitaryan and plenty more others, you know, Douglas Costa, everyone else. However, Mudrik seems to be the first Ukrainian in that mould. And I think currently Ukrainian players are quite high currency for a club like Shakhtar who can't afford or can't attract the foreign talent that they could do just 10 months ago prior to the full-scale invasion. Obviously, all of the foreign players have left, well, the majority of them. We've got a few remaining, but they're probably not at the quality that we would have seen even 10 months ago. Let's say a year ago when David Neres signed for Shakhtar, who never actually even made an appearance, but you can see the kind of things that he's doing at Benfica. Um, and the kind of talent that he would have been had he give, been given the chance to play at Shakhtar 
I think he he would have been a complete revelation for Ukrainian Premier League and torn it apart. But hey ho, this is where we're at. And now Mudrik is that, I guess, insurance that Shakhtar have to make big money on him because there's no guarantee of the stability of Ukrainian football over the next few years, depending on when the war finishes and everything else. You know, as positive as you can be, you have to approach this from a business mind. Um, Shakhtar have lost a number of foreign players for free. Essentially, we've seen the targets of Manuel Solomon. We've seen the likes of Manuel Solomon leave for free. His contract ends in December of next year, but his loan with Fulham ends in the summer, but he can sign a free pre-contract agreement with anyone he wants in the summer. So that's gone up in flames. Same with uh, Tete, who's obviously at Lyon. He's already being linked with whole heap of Premier League sides in the summer once that the similar situation with him and a number of other players that are currently on, on loan out elsewhere. Yes, Schechter are currently in a bit of a legal lawsuit battle with FIFA, trying to get 40 million euros for that lost transfer revenue from the FIFA ruling that allowed players to leave uh, with special with special permission where they were allowed to suspend their contracts and then sign for other clubs on loan. However, their contract continues to run down at Shakhtar and there's no securities for Shakhtar to make up for it. I'm not saying it's 100% understandable from the buying clubs because obviously that value probably doesn't add up from exactly the kind of product that Mudrik is right now. But as we've seen, Shakhtar value him and have hyped him up a lot. The player himself has hyped himself up a lot. And I guess the performances in the Champions League this season have added to that. And I mean, that's the only thing you can do as a footballer. You can literally prove yourself on the pitch and it is the best club competition in the world. He's he's shown as best as he possibly can do in the parameters that he's in. So I agree with Alex. He has gone beyond signing for any mid-table club, at least for the near future, even if he doesn't move this winter, I think that the big clubs will still be circling in the summer. Maybe a few more might arrive if he doesn't move, but just in general, that is what we're going to be coming to. And I think someone eventually will pay a price that Shakhtar will have to come down on a bit on the hundred million, but will accept. Just before we round up this evening, um, for any Arsenal and Chelsea fans who perhaps are listening to this, and we hope you are, and we hope you've enjoyed this, just any final words, I'll come round to everyone, any final words on what sort of player that you're going to receive. If the transfer comes off now or if it comes off in the summer. Uh, uh, we might be looking at a new Shevchenko case on our hands and uh, rightfully so. Um, Mudrik um, is showing a good template, a good uh, perspective of growth in uh, both uh, off and on the pitch and if it's he, he knows the place where he could stay that way and we know it as well so um we're just pointing it out Premier League uh at least for this the, for the current year uh nothing but the bright sky and shining stars uh those are the contradictive <laughs> things but that's how I see it I would say by final summary of Modrak is that Yes, it's a player coming from, you know, what people might call an untested league, where we've had players come from before. Someone mentioned Fred, and it's not always worked out. 
Yes, it's an absolute pain to get him out of, of Shakhtar at the moment with the amount they're charging. It's an incredible amount of money. But if everything goes well, then this is a player who has abilities that very few footballers in Europe do currently do have right now. So Chelsea or Arsenal fans, you know, whoever gets him in the end, and it might end up being both with how much he wants to go to Arsenal. <laughs> be patient. Your patience might be rewarded with an exceptional footballer. I think that he has got the mindset to fully make it as a top talent. It was a struggle maybe in those early years, but I think in the past 18 months, he has hit the ground running. And I think his determination in himself to those, you could say, crazy levels that even Ronaldo has. And I think he had that back in the day is what ends up making you that top talent. You have to be slightly weird to be in the gym 24 hours a day, to be completely focused on everything that you do. And the fact that he's got that and fair play to him, I think he will he will make it. It's the probably one of the most costly gambles of all time. But I think he has got the potential to certainly be worth that price a lot more than per se Anthony or Jack Grealish are who were in the similar bracket. Patience. I still Alex's word there. Patience, I think, will be the key virtue for whichever club is lucky enough to have his services for the foreseeable future. Now, Alex, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Um, and congratulations on all the exceptional work you do across the platforms as well. For We do have a lot of listeners joining us from Ukraine who will listen to this episode. So perhaps for people that don't know uh, where to find your work, just want to talk a little bit about where they can find you. Well, for anyone who's listening to Ukraine, I'd first say stay strong. You know, I don't, I don't want to half on. Probably everyone else has who's ever been on this podcast, but please stay strong. And if you do want to find out more of me, uh, you can go to well at Eurospot on Twitter and TikTok, where I do lots of videos on European and Premier League football. Uh, but I will say it's genuinely been an absolute pleasure to be on this podcast. It's been so informative. I will be talking with more people about Modric and I will be stealing with lots of credit for this podcast. Many of the amazing things you guys have uh, spoken about today. I'll be sharing this all over the place. This has been brilliant. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the kind words. Thank you so much. And that's it for today, everyone. Um, but till next time, take care, stay safe and goodbye for now. Bye-bye. <laughs>